morning. How are you this morning? Great. Uh, Jake was just praying for something new, so we're going to start a new series this morning um, in the book of Jonah. Um, Jonah is probably one of the, um, could be one of the most, you know, famous, popular, uh, known books of the Bible. Um, but even if maybe you haven't heard of Jonah, but you've probably heard of, of the story where a man gets thrown overboard, is swallowed by a fish, and is spit out onto dry land three days later. And, and that's the book of Jonah. And so for the next uh, handful of weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Jonah. Um, but what I want us to see is that, uh, you know, Jonah's kind of known to be uh, about this book, about this great big fish, but that's not really what it's about. Um, a, a couple years, uh, last year, actually, uh, last year, a good friend of mine, he, he gave me a, um, a couple of tickets, um, some sweet tickets to uh, the Cubs game. And uh, these were the kind of tickets that um, you don't say no to, um, even if you have other stuff going on. So uh, um, I changed work stuff. I took my boys out of school, and the four of us uh, went to the Cubs game. And it was in a luxury box. And uh, my boys were walking up there, and um, they start walking to places where they're like, yeah, Dad, we're big shots, aren't we? And uh, I'm like, no, we're not, but um, somebody who was was nice enough to give us these. And uh, so we get up into... Uh, these luxury bikes, and I'm like, boys, these seats are going to be great. You're going to love it. Um, and they were. Uh, but when you get to these seats, there's uh, um, you walk through like this, it's like a, just like a luxury buffet. Um, so our kids, my kids see that, and there's like hot dogs, there's drinks, there's snacks, uh, there's like prime rib, um, there's just really good food. And so finally, like, they're just like filling their pockets I'm like, guys, this, we can come back in a minute. Like, let's just, I feed you at home, too. Like, we're, we're going to be okay. So we go down, and we, we finally get down to this. We're sitting in these seats, and all they can think about is the food. And uh, at one point, they're like, they're turned around in their seats. The games, I'm like, guys, look, this, this, look at the view. See the, and they don't even care. All they, all they really can see, they're just distracted by um, the food and, and really the snacks. And I think that's a little bit of what happens um, with the book of Jonah. It, it has this reputation about being about a, a great fish, but it's really about the great mercy of God and what it all means for our lives. It's about how God will do whatever he needs to do to, to invade our lives, to really interrupt your life and mold you and shape you into the person that he desires you to be. So there's really, as we kind of walk through this or swim through this together, uh, there's, there's really two things that I want us to see more than anything. I, I just want to see just the mercy and the kindness of God take up more space in our lives. I know there are a number of us, we're, just, we're hiding from God, and, it, we're, we're, and I'm just praying that God would, God's kindness and mercy would just pull you out. Some of us are just, we've built up walls towards God and towards others, and I'm praying that somehow the mercy and, and kindness of God that we see here through the book of Jonah begins to soften our hearts and bust on our walls and we begin to have more room in our lives. I know some of us are just really just plain skeptical um, of this whole Jesus thing or maybe even angry at God for some reason. I'm just praying that God would somehow, through his word, begin to just it just soften your heart towards him and that you would experience his mercy and kindness in your life in greater measure. And then the second thing is that you would be challenged 
to love others like Jesus loves you. I mean, that's really, hello. That's really what we're going to see through the book of Jonah, just that the mercy and the kindness of God would be displayed in greater ways, not just in your life, but through your life. So Jonah starts out, verse 1. If you want to open up your Bibles or pull it up on your phones, Jonah chapter 1, we're going to look at the first six verses. It starts out where the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now let me just pull, pull out here for, for a stop for a second here. And just, I want to kind of answer the question like, is the book of Jonah really, is it true? Did it really happen? Did this, so we see, well, this guy, did he really get swallowed by a fish and spit out three days later? I mean, it sounds a little far-fetched. And is it just a story? Is it a parable? And look, I, I don't know 100%. I wasn't there. But the way that Jonah is written, everything in this book points to the fact that it's a real historical narrative. I mean, it starts off with Joseph or Jonah, the son of Amittai. And the way that that's phrased is it's saying Jonah's this historical person. And we can find out these more details about Jonah. You can find out in 2 Kings 14. I mean, he's a real person. He was a real prophet. Uh, and he was prophesying during the same time that the events that are they're gonna that Nineveh was around and these places existed, Tarshish. And uh, Joppa, they're real places. And all the events that we're going to see, are, they're historically ver verifiable. So look, if it was a made-up story, it, or it was intended to be, when it would start out with something like, there, it would say, there once was a man named Jonah. But it doesn't. It gives us a, a guy's name. It tells us who his dad is, and it really refers to other events going on in history. And another reason is that Jesus thought it was real. See, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about Jonah, and Jesus is talking about as if it's real. Uh, and then last but not least, look, last week, or a couple weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God, who is fully human and fully divine, sent by God, the third or second person of the Trinity, came down to live among us lived the life that we couldn't live, voluntarily gave his life to die for your sins, was dead as dead could be, crucified on a cross. And three days later, God raised him from the dead as the beginning of forgiveness and a whole new covenant and the beginning of a new kingdom and a whole new creation that we are invited into as we trust and follow Jesus with our lives. Look, we believe that. Look, a guy could get swallowed by a fish and get spit out. I mean, that's like on the lower rung here. Um, plus, look, I, I couldn't resist this. Uh, I got a picture of a guy who literally got swallowed by a whale in February. Can you pull this up? I, I don't know if you heard about this. Um, this is, it's happened in February. Google this. There's a video of the guy talking about it. That's his butt. You kind of see sticking out. Um, those are his legs. Um, it was some marine biologist doing some research on something, and a whale swallowed the dude. And uh, he lived, and uh, he talks about it if you want to Google it. But anyway, there, there's proof. Look, that it can happen. Um, that's stupid, but it's funny. Um, all right, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Verse 2. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. There's just a, a few pieces of context here uh, about 
Nineveh. The first thing that we see is that it was a great city. And when it says it's a great city, I mean, it, it's really talking about it's a, it's a large city. Later on, we'll see in Jonah that it takes him three days to walk across it. So it's massive in terms of geography. It's the, it was the capital city of a huge and powerful Assyrian empire. And so it was filled with people. It was just a cultural center. And uh, um, historians then actually say there was a wall that went around Nineveh that was that was so thick that you could ride three chariots side by side along this wall. And, uh, and so, the, so it, really is, it was a great, huge city, but it also says it was a very wicked place. And we could see, I've been looking up some of the stuff, the, that the Assyrian Empire, it was known for its brutality. And the city of Nineveh was really no different. In their, some of their histories, the Ninevites they actually boasted about just the horrible things they did to other people that they conquered. They talked about skinning men, women, and children alive. And then there's actually these like kind of rock hieroglyphic type things where there actually shows these pictures where they would take the skins of humans and put them up on the walls as a message to others of what they can do to them. There's actually, uh, um, they, they would then take these people and who some oftentimes were half-skinned, they would bury them up to their neck, and then they would stretch out their tongue, drive a stake in it, and just leave them there to die of thirst. And then all throughout the night, they would make them listen to Justin Bieber. <laughs> and that is terrible. <laughs> um, brutal. But like, they, they, were, they were brutal. I mean, they're just accounts of like uh, intentionally beheading so many people so they could stack their heads at the gates of cities as a reminder of just their power and their assertiveness and their oppression and their rule over others. And so this is where God is, is really saying, hey, Jonah, go to this great city. And then on top of that, Israel and the Assyrians at this time in the, in the Old Testament, they are sworn enemies. If these are the people that God has called Jonah, go to preach against them. And Jonah's gonna, he's gonna run here in a minute, but you can kind of see a little bit why. But there, there's two observations that I think in this verse that I just, I really think are important that I want us to see. And the first is that when God speaks to Jonah, he just says, uh, um, I see that their, their wickedness has come before me. So the first thing we need to see is that God is not blind to the wickedness and the evil and the suffering in the world around us. I mean, wickedness has come up before me is what God's saying. That's why he's sending Jonah there. I mean, God is sees injustice. I mean, he grieves over abuse. God weeps over the destruction that that humanity inflicts upon one another. I mean, there's this, in the book of Jeremiah, which is this other prophet, God is speaking to Jeremiah just about what's going on among them, and he uses these words that are just powerful. God says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night over the slaughter and suffering among my people. I mean, God sees, and he is not blind to the wickedness and suffering going on in the world. And when, when God says, wickedness has come up before me, he's actually saying, I'm about to do something about it. 
We see in the, in the early chapters of the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they were oppressed, they were enslaved, they were under you know, a horrible, oppressive Pharaoh, and the Israelites, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites cried out. And at the beginning of the book of Exodus, it says God heard their cries, and this is when God began to move in powerful, powerful ways. And the second thing I want us to see is that, look, God's calling Jonah to go to, to Nineveh. And it's a brutal, dangerous place. And it's the reality is that God doesn't call people to a safe life. I mean, he calls us to trust him. And he calls us to obey him. And look, God isn't against living safely. Like, it's good to be safe. But look, our immediate comfort and our immediate safety, they aren't nearly as much as a priority to God as they can be to most of us. Like Jesus, he said to his disciples, if anyone was, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what he's saying is deny himself. He's not saying deny yourself something. He's saying deny your need for security and your need to build your life in such a way where you're safe and, and trust me with your life and follow me. And then Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake is actually going to find it. And so Jesus, he isn't handing us a bunch of safety gear. I mean, he's handing us a cross. And a cross is dangerous, the cross is painful, and, and, and that's what he, we're called to. I mean, Jesus is, he is calling us into places where pain and where loss and where evil and where wickedness exists, because that is where he is at working. I mean, he's calling you into those kind of places, and we, you really, you can't live a great life and a safe life at the same time. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to do something that feels risky, but that's what, really what faith is. If there, there, I know there's some of you, you're in, you're in a relationship just because it feels safe and comfortable, but you know it's not really the, the best thing for you. You know it's not what God has for you, but it feels like such a risk to, to get out of it or try to live well within it, and so you just stay right where it's at. But it's a risk to trust God that somehow he's going to take care of you if you were to move forward in the way that you know he wants you to. It's risky. I mean, for some of us, God is moving in your heart to, to move into places that feel risky. I remember saying to my in-laws when Aubrey and I were going to move to Southern Africa, it did not go start out very well. I mean, they came around. Look, the first thing is like, Do you, where are you taking my daughter? Now I'm thinking, it's like, look, it was her choice too. Like it, it was, I mean, she, I didn't, uh, they came around. Um, but it really is that, look, there's just, you can't really grow in your faith. You can't even really experience Faith, apart from exposing yourself to great risk, to great risk. So the Christian life, look, it's not a life of safety. It really is a life of risk. And there's, God is beginning to move in a number of your lives. And look, you're at the 
a place where you're literally like, you're trying to manage the risk. You're trying to figure out a plan that will kind of minimize the risk or work around it. And the reality is, is God is just saying, look, you got to step forward into the life that I am calling you into to do the things that I am asking you to do to step in the places where there's hard things and wickedness and there's evil. And, and you're going to have to trust him that he's going to take care of you. And the amazing thing is, as you do, you will, you'll see that he'll take care of you. Doesn't mean life isn't going to be hard. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any suffering. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any pain. But look, the reality is, you can avoid risk and avoid a life of faith and experience all those things anyway. You might as well step into this life that Jesus has for you and take the risk because it's only then when those, you begin to experience the fulfillment that Jesus has for you in your life. So verse 3, so here's Jonah, he's, he's, uh, God gives him, he calls him into this place, and what does Jonah do? Verse 3, but Jonah, he ran away from the Lord. He headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard, he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord God, he sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, fell into a deep sleep. The captain of the ship went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he's going to take notice of us so that we will not perish. So just, just to give you a sense of what's happening, Nineveh is a few days' journey northeast from where Jonah was at. Um, Joppa, where Jonah ends up going, is a few days' journey southwest. Um, and Tarshish is all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to the southern, really, tip of Spain, kind of near the Atlantic Ocean. So look, Jonah's supposed to go here, and he pays the fare, all the money he's got, to run all the way over there. I mean, he, you, you couldn't, like, he isn't just, like, strolling away from God. Like, the dude is running. He's sprinting hard. And it doesn't say he's trying to sprint or run away from Nineveh. It says he's running hard away from God. Why? I mean, this is really the, gets to the heart of what um, we begin to see here throughout the book of Jonah, because it's because Jonah knows God deeply and personally. Look, Jonah's a prophet. This isn't the first time he has heard from the Lord. There's, in 2 Kings 14, you can read about this, there's some, some real, like, brutal stuff going on, and, and, and God speaks through Jonah. Jonah speaks to the people that God is going to overcome their enemies and going to enlarge their borders, and it happens. And so Jonah's this prophet who's really experienced God's power and, and, and mercy for his people through, through really horrible circumstances. And so he knows God like this to be merciful. But the only reason God, he, he wants to run away from Nineveh is because he doesn't want God to show mercy to the Ninevites. Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. So look, Jonah, may have, he may have been a little afraid. Uh, they were, you know, political enemies. And he knew of their brutality. But look, 
Jonah loved his country. He loved his own success. He loved just their, his own like person and who he was. He wanted God's privilege and mercy for himself, and he, he ran hard the other way because he didn't want the Ninevites to experience it. Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. He loved the mercy of God when it was worked for him. And it went in, in his favor and when he could dispense it and use it according to however he wanted to. But when, when it, he was asked to do it in such a way that just didn't work with you know, the way he viewed the world and the way he viewed other people, he ran the other direction. Now, I, I want to be a little bit careful here because I really do, I, I feel for Jonah because um, it is like, I'm sure there's some fear, but look, the guy's, the guy's been really successful in Israel. And now um, to be able to speak a word of mercy to the Ninevites, it, he would have been treated as a traitor. I mean, his reputation is on the line. And for Jonah to do that, he knows like, look, you can't do this to me. I mean, you're like telling me to go love my enemy. And God's like, yeah, it sounds familiar. Jesus is going to say that later, but um, Jonah, I'm going to show you how to do that now. And Jonah wanted had nothing to do with it. So, so what does God do? And this is, this is good. He's, he sends a storm. I want you to hear this. Not everything bad in your life is from God. Not everything in your life, God, not everything bad in your life, God allowed. But there are some storms that God has sent. Yeah, let me me just say that again. Not everything bad in your life is allowed by God, but there are some storms that God sent. Remember, especially when my kids were little, you know, you're walking through a parking lot, you're walking across the street, and uh, they just want to run everywhere, and and, uh, so, like, you grab a hold of them, and they're like, and you're, like, pulling tighter, and, and look, like, they're not pumped about it, neither am I, but look, if I let go... Or if I don't give them like a pointed word, they're not going to get the message and they're going to get run by, over by a car. And so look, it, there's a little bit of a storm going on right there. Like they're not pumped about it. Doesn't feel great. Remember uh, growing up, my, uh, my parents, I came from a, spank, a spanking family. My parents, uh, they didn't spare the rod. And uh, uh, we, they actually had this little wooden paddle uh, that had a heart on it. And uh, I, I know this is surprising, but I became very familiar with that paddle. Um, and, uh, and I remember, uh, yeah, they'd say, you know, Kevin, go get the paddle. And, uh, and I'm just thinking, like, what? No, you get it. Um, so I'd go get the paddle, and the heart would be on it, and they'd just talk about, like, look, there's a heart on here, and we're doing this because we love you. And, uh, and at the time, you're like, this, this, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. This is, I know my, like, my parents were never abusive, so let me, let me just get that out there. Never felt abused by them, but it never made sense at the time. And so they'd, you know, they'd spank me. I'm, you know, I can actually remember the last time they did, because I was just like, that didn't hurt. <laughs> and I remember my dad saying to my mom, like, all right, this isn't going to work anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember it hurt really bad. Um, but it, it was... I mean, Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. I mean, it isn't God's grace for you to do whatever you want to do and, and have nothing happen to you. Like, that's, 
That's not gracious. That's actually scary to just like let go of my kid's hands in the parking lot when they're just going to, I mean, that's frightening. That's not a gracious thing. And Hebrew 12 actually tells us that, look, if I can live in rebellion and get against God and nothing happens, then I may not actually be God's child. There are some storms that we face that are actually from God, and they're actually a means of grace. That there comes crises in and out of our lives that God wants to use to, to shape you and to mold you into something greater. And I, I just, I think of Joseph uh, at the end of the book of Genesis who had been gone through just so much hardship. He had been thrown into a pit, been sold into slavery, into prison, raised to the highest heights, been unjustly accused of rape, back into the lowest of lows in prison, then taken back out again, and, and just, just the incredible highs and incredible lows. And I really, you read this, the story of Joseph, the end of the book of Genesis, I don't know if there's a life of anyone that I've heard that's any more sad and tragic. And Joseph looks back when he finally sees his brothers who had who who are the culprits of sending him into slavery, Joseph just says, look, it was not you. You you meant this stuff for evil, but God meant this for good. Look, that's not an easy thing to say, but that is a mature thing to say. So there's there's crises and and storms in our life that look, that the the mature person says, they look at it and they they say, look, what is God what is God doing in me in these circumstances, in, these, in this whole situation? I mean, that, that's what maturity looks like. It's not what Jonah did. But these, look, God sends the storm, and these are crises that God wants to use in your life to mold you and to shape you into something greater. And look, I, I say that knowing that there are real things going on in, in many of your lives, things that are painful, and I, I'm not going to begin to stand here and say, I know this one's from God. I know this one's not. I know. But look, I think, I, think there's, I think in any and every circumstance, God is working all things for his glory and for your good. And somehow, like, God can just take these storms in our life, and he, he makes them into something significant. And part of it is because he's shaping us, and he's making us into faithful, significant people. Let me just end with this. Um, we'll stop here and... You see just something really incredible at the end of just this section where Jonah, he's running from God, literally running away from the Lord, and, and who's the one who calls him back? The pagan captain. He says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. And look, even this pagan captain notices, Jonah, look, you've run from God, but maybe this God that you're running from that brought this storm upon us, that has put us in a position where we're literally throwing our cargo over like our business is done. Maybe, maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The gospel is this. Look, even while Jonah was running in the midst of the most unlikely of places, on a boat, running from God, from the most unlikely of people, a pagan captain, that Jonah is reminded to turn to the Lord to find mercy. 
turn to the Lord and find mercy. And really, look, this is, this is our call for every single one of us. To turn to the Lord and, and to find the mercy that we long for and the mercy that we need. And look, for some of us, it, it takes a preacher. For some of us, it takes the word of God. For Jonah, it took really a pagan that became a prophet of God. And Jonah, it just must have been so humbling to be Jonah. This guy is just, he's the height of a religious leader. And here he is with this captain who doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't, uh, but yet he recognizes like, look, this God that, that you're running from, Jonah, maybe, maybe he's, you turn to him and We'll find mercy. And so look, some of you today, that's what you need to do. You need to turn to him and you need to find mercy. And you'll find it. Some of you, you're like, look, there's situations, there's circumstances that God is calling me into and you don't know what to do. You need to turn to him to find mercy because he's the one who's going to give you the grace to step into this. So let me pray for us and take the Lord's Supper. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word Lord, I even just, I thank you for um, that you put onto paper the account of Jonah, uh, that Jonah, I'm guessing he knew about it, that he was even willing to say, look, I want my foibles, I want the error of my ways to be on display for God's people for as long as need be so that we can then move forward in a, in a, in a new direction. Lord, I pray anybody who's running from God that they would... Uh, that you would soften their hearts and that they would turn towards you. But I pray as uh, any storms in our life, that we wouldn't give Satan the credit for what's necessarily going on, that we would look to God knowing that he's the one who's going to use it all for his glory and even for our good. So you're powerful and you're good and you're merciful. And Lord, I just pray that we just taste that today as we take the Lord's Supper together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.